boy can paint fast, can't he? Man, can you imagine if I preached the fastest he painted? I'd probably blow a gasket up. I don't want to hear an amen out of that. Come on now. Hey, do you ever feel like this world is more cursed than blessed? I mean, you flip open the paper, you scroll onto the news, you watch what's going on through your commentators on TV, and it sure does seem like there's an awful lot of negative out there, doesn't it? The reality is there is. I mean, they could name a CNN. It could just be Cursed News Network because it seems like the curse is everywhere. But what about your life? Do you ever feel like your life is more cursed than blessed as well? It seems like the relationships always end up breaking down. The loved ones always wind up dying way too close to one another. The finances never do line up the way that they should. Reality is, is that we live in a world of curse, don't we? We live in a world of pain. And that seems so contrary to where we were at last week. Because last week we began our journey through the story. And if you didn't pick up your copy of the story yet, we have several copies out in the foyer so that you can read along with us. But the reality is, as we talked about last week, the building block number one last week was that God is good and that God created us to bless us. The very reason in Genesis 1, it talks about that God blessed us when he created us. And yet we look this week, when we start in Genesis 12, the problem is is that Genesis 3 through 11 happened. And if you read through Genesis 3 through 11, and you read real closely, what you're going to see is that there are very clearly five different curses that God has for humanity or for creation. Five different times it is mentioned that the humanity and the creation is cursed. Now, I don't want you to think that God is mad or that He's mean or anything else. We deserved every every one of them. And in fact, God is extremely gracious even with His curses in providing a way for us. Otherwise, He just would have wiped us all out. But the reality is, is that our curses due to sin have affected so many different parts of our lives. I mean, it starts real basic. Have you ever been trying to get grass to grow in your yard and you end up with weeds instead? You ever end up trying to grow a garden? And those garden, it just doesn't get going because all the weeds are choking it out? That's a result of the curse. Ever try to get your marriage straightened out? Ever try to get the relationship right there and it just seems like time after time you butt heads with your spouse over and over again? Genesis 3, that's part of the curse. How about death? Ever had someone you love die? Ever had someone you loved have health problems that scared you to the point Because of the threat of death? Right there, Genesis 3, it's part of the curse as well. So last week we talked about how everything God created started off as good, and then suffered the consequences of the curses. So so there's hope that it can all be good once again. But if, if it's going to be good, somehow the curses have to be removed. Somehow those blessings, we have to get back to the blessing again. We have to get back to this idea that God created us to bless us and that God can save us to bless us as well. And so here's what we're going to look at today is building block number two. Building block number two is our covenant God. 
we're going to take a look at what it means for God to establish a covenant with us. And since we've left the story, we've had Noah and the ark where God saved humanity through one family. We've had the Tower of Babel where so many different languages were created because of the defiance of mankind versus God. So how is God going to bless us now? And I need to stop and just pause for a second and talk about the idea of a covenant. Because when we say that our God is a covenant God, oftentimes today we think that our God is like a contract God. Because that's what we think of. A contract is a legal document that's signed. There are legal consequences for breaking it. But a covenant goes so much deeper than a contract. The idea of a covenant is that two people are, are committing themselves. Two parties are committing themselves to one another. This is why marriage is not just a contract between two people. It's more than just a piece of paper, isn't it? It's two people who are swearing their lives. A man and a woman swearing their lives together. And when we look at this, that's why divorce is so hard. It's because it's literally the ripping apart of two lives. It's more than just a piece of paper, isn't it? It's two people that are involved. And that is what we get with God. God does not give us a contract. He gives us a covenant. Remember those five curses that I talked about earlier? Remember those five curses that we see in Genesis 3-11? through I want you to notice as we start into chapter 12 here of Genesis what happens. First, in verse 1 of chapter 12, we see this character of Abraham emerging. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Abraham, go from everything that you know. Leave everything that you know behind. This sounds like a great adventure for a young man, doesn't it? <laughs> but as you saw in the video, Abraham is no spring chicken, is he? He is 75 years old. He is going to be called to walk 400 miles. Now, Kristen and I, when we moved here from Omaha, it was about 800 miles, but we had this thing called a semi, and these people called movers, and we had these things called vehicles that we could drive. And it was still stressful with all of that. I want you to imagine that, uh, you know, we're about uh, half the age of Abraham, give or take a few years, who's counting anyway. And yet, to walk 400 miles, there's a reason God didn't tell him where he was going to go, because it was 400 miles. Maybe Abraham just thought, hey, I'm just going to go over this hill over here. Nope. Abraham, you're going to go over a lot of hills, son, right? So the Lord said to him, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Remember those five curses? Keep those in mind as we read these next few verses. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. That's, that's, that's one if you're keeping track, all right? Anybody want to stop and guess right now how many there's going to be? I will make your name great, and you will be a... Two, blessing. I will, three, bless those who, four, bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And peoples on earth will be, five, blessed through you. What we see here is that in three short verses, 
three powerful verses, God is promising to completely reverse the effects of the curse and to instill blessings upon his people instead. And that these blessings are not just for Abraham because Abraham somehow was chosen by God, but it's that, that God chose Abraham to be a blessing to a few nations? No. To some nations? No. To the really good nations? No. But to all nations, that all peoples will be blessed through Abraham. God's promise for the blessing goes even further than the curse went. God's blessings will completely reverse the curse. Church, here's the reality. When we were cursed, God chose to bless. When we had received the curse for the sins that we had rightly committed, or that we had wrongly committed, and when we had received the punishment for those sins that we rightly deserved, God chose instead to bless us. God chose to reverse the curse. Now me, as a Chicago Cubs fan, I know a lot about curses. And those of you who live in the state of Ohio and have Cleveland in our backyard, we know a lot about curses, don't we? We know how powerful they can be. And that's just, we're just talking about sports there. We're just talking about baseball. Well, Cleveland's talking about more than baseball, I guess, aren't they? But we look at that. And we think about that pain that fans get. Think about the curse that's been upon humanity for for thousands of years, and yet here God is saying there's a day that's coming when it will be reversed, when the curse will be no more. One of the very last lines in the book of Revelation, it says simply, and there will be no more curse. Come, Lord Jesus. When we were cursed, God chose to bless. I can't even handle somebody cutting me off without trying to curse them right back. And yet God, when we deeply offended Him, He chose to bless us instead. Let me give you three quick things here real quick before we move on. First, what we see from the life of Abraham is those who are blessed often have challenges that feel like curses. The challenges that Abraham and Sarah had not being able to have children is probably one of the deepest wounds in people that people can have. And yet, for Abraham and for Sarah, it set the stage for what God was about to do in them. You might feel cursed right now, but what if God is just setting the stage for His greatest work in you? What if God is going to do a deeper work in you than he could ever, than you could ever imagine? And he's just setting the stage through what feels like a curse right now so he can bless you. Abraham's name literally meant exalted father or father of many. Depends if it's Abram or Abraham. I won't get into that today. I don't have time for that. But the reality is, is that can you imagine having the name exalted father? And not having any children, not being able to have children, how much of a curse that would feel like. Those who are blessed often have challenges that feel like curses. Where is it that you feel cursed right now in your life? And could it be that God's greatest blessing is coming because of the hardship that you have had to endure? Number two, 
Those who are blessed still deeply need God's grace. And by that, I mean you and I need God's grace. Abram, if you read the story here, the rest of the story, he ends up, apparently Sarah was pretty good looking, and the foreign kings all wanted her to be one of their wives, and so Abraham just kind of lied about it and said, oh yeah, she's my sister instead. Guys, try that the next time somebody tries to pick up your wife and just see how quick you get slapped, all right? You deserve it. Abraham deserved it. I don't know if Sarah slapped him or not, but she should have. Not only that, but when they couldn't make it happen themselves, they decided to get, uh, to get Sarah's maidservant involved. And they wound up, Sarah's maidservant wound up having baby Ishmael. Ishmael winds up being the father of Islam. You know, if you want to go back and trace that back and figure that one out. Like, there are some mistakes in here. And, and, and I'm not saying to you that you should keep on sinning because God's grace is greater. By no means is what Paul would say to that. But the reality is, church, is that we are going to struggle with sin throughout our lives. And we're going to think that maybe we just wrote off that blessing because of what we did. Because of how we sinned, because of how we messed up, because we can't believe what we just did. The reality is, is that God's faithfulness is bigger than your sin. God's faithfulness and His grace is bigger than your sin. And His promises are bigger than your sin as well. Those who are blessed still deeply need God's grace. It doesn't mean we should go on sinning as Abraham. He had a lot of consequences for his sin in his life. We see his family line. His family line, they had a real problem with telling the truth. They had a real problem with honesty. That started with Abraham. We see it probably started way before him. But it carries on into his kids and his grandkids. And that was a real danger they had for the first several hundred years there in the story of Genesis. Those who are blessed still deeply need God's grace. You and I need God's grace. But finally, God's blessings are not limited to our own lifetime. Abraham got to see very little of this blessing. He got to see very little of it, and yet in the end, what we see is that God blessed him richly. God blessed him richly for thousands of years. And what we see here in Deuteronomy 7, 9 is that it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is good. Your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to how many generations? To a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. I would have settled for like five. <laughs> and here is God wanting to bless for a thousand generations. That's a long time. They're going to forget old Dustin Fult never lived you know, after a few generations. But the reality is, is God's blessing through our lives can continue for thousands of generations. And so here we see building, building block number two of our covenant God. Here's what we learn. That God blesses us to be a blessing. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to all peoples, to all nations. To people, no matter how close to God they may seem or how far away they may seem, we are called to be a blessing to take the blessing that we receive, the blessings we receive, and to be a blessing to other people. Richard Foster, who's an expert on spiritual disciplines, he tells us about being a blessing. He says, service is not a list of things that we do, but a way of living. And you hear that? Service is not a list of things that we do. It's not a list of things just to cross off. 
but it's a way of living when we choose to be a blessing to others. So how can we be a blessing? I just want to give you three questions to answer here. First, do we have the mindset to be a blessing? Do we have the mindset? Are we thinking correctly in our head about being a blessing? Because the reality is, is we live in a material world and we are material boys and girls, apparently, to quote a horrible American prophet. Don't know where that came from. Watch Cinderella this week and just, all the songs just come out. That's it. But the reality is, is that we are consumer. We are consumerites. We are consumers who are taught by our culture to consume everything around us. And we have to switch our mindsets from saying, I'm here to consume to I'm here to be a blessing. I'm not here to get one more thing. I don't need one more thing. One more thing is not going to make me happy, okay? But when I choose to be a blessing, then I can find something much greater than happiness. I can find peace because I realize I'm a part of something that's way bigger than myself. Do we have the mindset to be a blessing? Number two, do we have room to be a blessing? And here I'm talking about our calendars, our schedules, our budgets. Do I have room to be a blessing? If my schedule is so packed tight that I don't have room for anybody else, chances are I'm not going to see anybody else in need. If I do see them, I'm just going to say, oh, man, I wish I had time for that, but I don't. The reality is, is we have to create space in our schedules. We have to create space in our budgets to say, I'm going to choose to be a blessing to other people. I'm going to choose to bless other people. I'm going to set aside this time. I'm going to set aside this money. I'm going to set aside this gift that I have strictly to serve other people. That's what it's for. And finally, number three, do I have the right reminders in my life? Do I have the right reminders in, our, in my life? We have reminders every day to be consumers. They're called commercials and advertisements. They pop up on our phones. They started, they started now advertising via text message, which is the most annoying thing. Somebody please pass a law to, to get that off our phones. Amen. Ugh. But the reality is, the reality is, is that we need reminders. The best reminders you're going to have is Scripture and people. All right? That's why we're doing the stories, because we need to know God's Word better. But it's also why we need to get deeply involved in the life of the church. It's why we need to, if you're not involved in one, consider being a part of a grow group. Because we need people who pour into our lives with the same mindset of us. Because we got everybody else pouring into our lives with other mindsets. We need to have people who are pouring into our minds as well, so that we have the right reminders to be a blessing. So those three things, do, I, do we have the right mindset, do I have the room to be a blessing, and do I have the right reminders? As we wrap up the story of Abraham, I think it's best for us to look to one of the last events in Abraham's life. Abraham uh, and Sarah, they have Isaac, and by have, I mean she had him. Abraham was standing there saying whatever a hundred-year-old says when his wife's given birth. I don't know what that is, but it, <laughs> push, push, you know, I don't know how that went, but you know, hey. But here is some time later, we think it was probably when Isaac was probably anywhere from 6 to 20 years old, we don't know. Uh, I think ancient Jewish sources always liked around the age of 14 or so for some reason, but we, we don't know, we, they're just thinking, those are the best guess. But sometime later, it says God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, 
Again, he said, Father of many, the guy with one son. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Now, there's a few things that I should point off out, first of all. First of all, uh, God is not calling you to sacrifice another human being, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. A few of you laugh. Those of you who are not laughing are parents because you're thinking, darn it, he had to bring that up, didn't he? Right? Okay, just to be clear on that. But ancient Near Eastern religions, they would have practiced human sacrifice. And so it wouldn't have been all that uncommon of a thing for a God to ask them to sacrifice their son. But I believe that God's doing something more here. And that something more is going to be something that I think we only see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Second of all, the place where Moriah is at is literally thought to be Jerusalem. He's taken him to the high point, which is where the temple would have been at. This is a significant spot for many generations, and it becomes a very significant spot when Jesus comes around too, doesn't it? So verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, because the truck was brought down, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And we had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Well, that's an interesting way of saying it, isn't it? Either Abraham's starting to fib a little bit or he thinks something greater is going to happen here. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Isaac carried the wood up the hill and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Smart kid here, huh? Something's not right, Dad. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Now keep in mind here, this is a hundred plus year old man who's tying up a young, strong boy. Something tells me that Isaac was very willing and trusting in the midst of all this. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Because he's old, you had to say it twice. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Notice how that is repeated multiple times through the text. Your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up there, and in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. So he went over to the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. Sometimes we say it Jehovah Jireh, but there was no J in Hebrew. I'm off my soapbox now. And so it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, how many times throughout that story did you hear your son, your only son? I know at least three times in there, your son, your only son. Because I believe what God was doing through the midst of all this is saying, Abraham, it's not your son who will save the people from their sins. It's my son, my only son, who will save the people from their sins. And even though it didn't happen for some 2,000 years later, God was faithful to work through the lineage of Abraham, the Jewish people, to raise up the Messiah for all people, Jesus Christ. And that Messiah was willing to carry that wood up the hill and to lay down His life as God's only Son so that you and I might have our sins forgiven. But Jesus was also trusting that there was a way out, that He didn't just climb up that hill and die, but that He came out of that tomb because God raised Him up from the dead. And the promise for you and I as well is that that Jesus who was resurrected from the dead and sits at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven is returning for us as well. And the reason why we can choose to be a blessing, the reason why we can choose to live sacrificial lives in this world is because Jesus chose to live a sacrificial life in this world as well. Because He knew that there was a greater world that was coming. And you know what, church? That world will come when Jesus returns, when we are resurrected, when we receive our new bodies, and when we understand that every bit of sacrifice that we gave with our lives was absolutely worth it. Until that day, we choose to be a blessing to all nations because we know that we are most blessed indeed with both forgiveness and eternal life. The storyline of Abraham and his descendants is just getting started here. But we know how it was brought to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate what God did through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we trust in you. Um, we trust in you for life, for hope, for resurrection. And we believe in you, that you are good, that you are faithful. And Lord, we acknowledge that you could have kept those curses on us, but that instead you chose to bless us. We thank you and we praise you and we worship you because Jesus Christ is truly the sacrifice for our sins and that he has truly overcome even death itself. Because of that sacrifice, Lord, may we choose to live our lives as a blessing for others. May your Holy Spirit reign in us and through us as we strive to be that blessing into the lives of other people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.